Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton. I'm the founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Ween, senior pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. He's also a Transforming Community alumni, which means that he and I have been in relationship for a long time. We know how to have fun in a conversation, and we are looking forward to having fun together today. Ruth, episode eight. This one's titled, For the Sake of of others. And I love how you teed it up in episode seven. We're going to shatter dualisms. And there's this huge dualism right now that says you're either a missional organization or you're a formational organization. And I think if the field of spiritual transformation gets a bad rap, it's from people who think that it's just about navel gazing and self-improvement. So what would you say just to mm-hmm. just to get us going on this conversation? Yeah, I mean, first of all, let's talk about the process by which human beings actually do this. Yes. How do we get ourselves into these false bifurcations, into these dualisms, these false dichotomies? Like we've already talked about one in this in this season. We've talked about the false dualism between the spiritual life and our lives and our physical bodies, right? Yep. yep. Uh, we actually, without you know naming it this way, we talked about dualisms between spirituality and sexuality. I mean, these are ways in which human beings Beings, try to make sense of their lives um, by separating things that seem like they're opposite, but really they belong together in a Christian life that's being lived in an integrated way. And so whenever we can shatter these false dualisms, we are doing really good work. And so one of the things that has irritated me over the years is the ways in which people have created this false dichotomy between spiritual formation and mission, or uh, prayer and action, if you will. You know, that's another way we look at it. Some people sit around and pray and gaze at their navels all the time, and then other people get out there and get something done. And um, this is something that the human mind does, because it's hard to hold these two things together. They feel like they are very, very separate, and that they actually war against one another. But the truth is it takes more energy and it's better energy to to hold it together in creative tension. I mean, Peter Senge talks about that in his book, um, The Fifth Discipline, that it's our tendency to want to get lazy and create a false dichotomy between two things that seem like they don't go together because it takes actual energy and wisdom and waiting and finding that third way. So... um, I think we're involved in deeply spiritual work when we try to bring things together that, that really do belong together. And so spiritual for- formation and mission or prayer and action really do belong together in, in the Christian life, in the spiritual life. And this is how I, this is how I see it. Um, going to, I'm speaking now from Romans 12, where the Apostle Paul says, uh, do not be transformed or do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So this is how I see it, that first of all, you engage, you're invited into the process of spiritual transformation. I mean, really salvation could be seen as an invitation to spiritual transformation, right? Yes. Salvation is not just an invitation to eternal life in the future. It's the invitation to a life that brings about transformation now. So the kingdom of God comes now. Now. So we're invited into that life at salvation, and we um, open ourselves to the transforming work of God. 
And then uh, that becomes a prerequisite for our ability to discern the will of God. All right. He, he establishes a cause and effect relationship between our formation and our ability to discern. Right. Yes. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed so that there's this cause and effect relationship between formation and the ability to discern. And then once we discern the will of God, which is always going to have to do with caring for the world that Jesus loves, then we are in a position to do the will of God. And then when we're out there doing the will of God, you know, involved in mission, involved in action, then of course we always hit up against our human limits, right? We always hit up against that place where we know that our human action is not enough and that the Holy Spirit's got to meet us in that place and do in the world what we cannot do on our own. And we are cast back on this sense of dependency upon God. And so we return turn to that place of our transformation. We cry out to God and say, God, I'm not enough for this situation. I need your Holy Spirit. Or I don't have the wisdom for the complexity of the issues that are facing us in our world. And so we are driven back to a life of prayer, to the practices that open us to uh, the transforming work of God so that then we deepen our sense of discernment about how God is calling us to engage the world. And then we get back out there and do, and then we hit the limits. And then it's this beautiful cycle, if you will, that we're involved in all the time. So to me, it's transformation, discernment, doing, which is mission. And that's how I see these as a seamless whole, not a false bifurcation. One of the ways I understand it is um, uh, as kids, the only way we learn tall is by comparing it to short, right? So as kids, we're we're naturally dualistic, Mm -hmm. right? There's far, there's near, there's tall, there's short. But if we stay that way, As adults, we're not actually maturing. Like right. that's not a mature faith, but it can seem like, you know, we, it's us and them. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, it can seem like a more holy, a more pure, right. a more I am. Um, this this dualistic way of thinking can, can keep boundaries and mm-hmm. categories more clear. Right. And that can seem more righteous, mm-hmm. more holy. But really, it it doesn't take into effect the complexities right. that you just talked about. That it is both. I mean, a transforming life is by its very nature in the world. That's right. Well, and especially if you, you know, we have. It's funny we haven't even defined the term spiritual transformation. <laughs> we should probably do yeah, that. Yeah, we should do that. And so the definition of spiritual transformation is the process of Christ being formed in us. For the glory of God, because a transforming person is a, it glorifies God, just like a flower glorifies God by being a, a beautiful flower, just like a tree glorifies God by being a, a tree, human beings glorify God by um, being transformed into the best version of their human selves that they can be. That's the way yes. we glorify God. Um, so we're transformed for the glory of God. We're transformed for the abundance of our own lives, because leading a life in which we are becoming our best selves is way more abundant than living stuck right. in our garbage and our in our in our unfreedom and our bondage to sin. So it's it's for the abundance of our own lives, which Jesus promises, and it is for the sake of others. And so when you think about that definition of Christ being formed in us, Christ came because Christ loved the world. Because God so loved the world, he sent Jesus. And Jesus was the very personification of God's love here on the earth. So it's impossible for the character of Jesus to be formed in us without the love for the world being formed in us as well. Otherwise, it's not Christian formation. Right. It's not being formed into the image of Christ if it's not forming in us a love for the world that Jesus loved. So it's it's actually in the definition, I think, of transformation that we are going to be um, involved in the world that Jesus loved and bringing the presence of Christ through our very person into the world that Jesus loved. Right. So Bob Mulholland, 
uh, who wrote. Who was our teacher. Yeah, our mm-hmm. teacher, our guide, our guru, yeah. our mentor. He had this phrase that I have, I have it, it has never left my mm-hmm. mind. And he said, we are to be in Christ for the world. Yeah. Rather than in the world for Christ, mm-hmm. which is colonial exactly. and sort of. Um, can you talk more about um, that phrase and how that relates to what you were just talking about about mm-hmm. spiritual transformation? Yeah, um, and and actually, it goes back to our our definition yes. of intercessory prayer, which was to be you know in God's presence on behalf of someone else. That um, we are in God for the world, which means that we are cultivating that relationship with God. And it's all about that relationship. It's not about me getting out there and doing something for God. It's about being in relationship with God and being transformed into the kind of person that actually mediates the presence of Christ in the world, which is um, it's, it's a different kind of power than just trying to get out and do stuff. Um, you know, exactly in my own human energy and in my own human strength, but to actually be the presence of Christ in the world and to be cultivating my life in God so that there's a continual um, flow of God's love through me. I mean, you probably remember that metaphor where he, you know, drew out that pipe for us and it was oh, open on, yeah. on one end. So that the love of God was always pouring through us to the world and that when the pipe was either full of gunk and scum or whatever, or it was actually even closed, then the love of God couldn't flow through us to the world. Um, but when we are in, the, in, you know, in a transformational process and God is helping us to um, strip away those false self elements so that the true self in God is free to be itself in the world, then the love of God is, is just very easily th- flowing through us to the world and we're discerning in every moment what God is calling us to do and to be in the world. And um, it's, a, it's a very natural thing rather than such an effortful thing that just wears us out in the end. So one of the things I'm just utterly convinced of is that mission cannot be discerned without being in a process of transformation. We can't discern what God is calling us to be and to do without the process of transformation. So it can't be discerned. And also mission cannot be sustained. without an ongoing process of transformation where the power and the strength and the love of God is flowing through us continuously because we have these regular rhythms of opening ourselves to the presence of God. That is how mission is discerned, is is sustained, is by having these rhythms in our lives that keep us open and available to the presence of God. And we're going to talk in a later episode more about Sabbath. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, right now, the great danger of Christianity that is missional Mm -hmm. is the burnout factor Mm -hmm. is just so high missional uh without active Mm -hmm. action without transformation uh will lead to despair Mm -hmm. and and burnout inevitably inevitably um and the other thing just to keep discernment right here with us is that if you don't discern it well then you get involved in things that really are, are you know either not what God had in mind for you, or they or too much. It, we become grandiose because yes. when we are led in a discernment process, God does not lead us into things that are more than what we can bear. So if it's not discerned, then the human grandiose self just says, "I'm going to get out there and and change the world or change for the Christ. city or whatever and do it for Christ." And we can actually be involved in grandiose grandiose ideas as opposed to having discerned what God is actually calling us to. And that is a real danger, as you've uh, said so well. Whew. Okay. So can you get can can we get can we get uh, nitty gritty? Mm-hmm. Can you tell some stories, give some examples of ministries, churches 
places where you've seen this mm-hmm. this being done well? Yeah. Well, um, I know, like, like, so there's one church that comes to mind is a church that, uh, you know, has really driven a stake in the ground in terms of um, offering opportunities for transformation and actually ordering their life together around being sure that people who come into their church are invited into um, an extended process of spiritual transformation. But then on the basis of who they are and some of the uniqueness of of uh, the persons that are actually in that church, they've actually gotten involved in, in, in a huge way with human trafficking. Yeah. Because that's been something that some of the the congregational members have have um, been up close and personal with in their in their congregational life, and so that's been something they have felt God really leading them as they've discerned it. They felt God leading them to really be involved, and so what's really exciting about their situation is that they their church has now become a hub for um, the whole effort of their whole state having to do with human trafficking. And so now they are looked to as experts in the area of human trafficking. And of course, there's many other options of things they could have gotten involved in, right? Because there's so much need in the world and none of us can meet all those needs. But they discerned that based on who they were as an organization or as a church and who was in their congregation and had connections and had had experiences up close and personal with this, that this was a part of what was going on in the world that they were going to actually be engaged in as the presence of Christ. And now they've emerged as being experts in this in their whole state. And their church has become a hub for this, um, you know, confronting of, confronting the injustice of human trafficking. Um, and that's that's emerging from their commitment to transformation. It's not their human, let's get out and do something right. to make a difference in the world. It's what's emerged out of their transformation and their discernment. So uh, when it's that organic, it's it's sustainable. But I love that, though, because that's it starts with this commitment mm-hmm. to transformation. And then we listen and look mm-hmm. and say, what are the things that are breaking our hearts? Uh, what are our desires? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then mm-hmm. it's human trafficking. Yeah. Okay. And okay. Then, and that's what we. Yeah. That's our unique yep. contribution. Yep. That's what Jesus is calling us uniquely to do and, and to be in the world. And you don't have to do it all. And then yes. And then there's the freedom of letting go of some of these other things and assuming that because the body of Christ is big and wide and rich and and resourced, you know, there will be other parts of the body of Christ that come to deal with other things. So here it's humbling, isn't it? Yes. It's humbling to our grandiosity to say there are limits to what we can do. So I'm going to do this part that I'm really clear God wants me to be involved in. And I'm going to really trust that because God loves the world so much, God's going to bring somebody else to do this other thing that we see as a need, but that we can't do. Um, I would like to mention one more example, if that's okay. Um, International Justice Mission. Oh yeah. Um, They are, you know, an organization that exists to confront... um, you know, sexual trafficking with women and children all across the world. And uh, they are a group of attorneys and legal experts who actually not only um, go in and try to rescue people from that lifestyle, but they also confront the legal systems that make it possible for those kinds of experiences to remain in place because it's systemic. You know, when sex, when human trafficking and, and um, sexual trafficking is in place in a community, the, the systems allow it to be in place, the police systems, the legal yep. systems. Yep. And so they confront this, this horrible darkness all around the world, but they realize that they can't sustain it without a really radical commitment um, to spiritual transformation and to replenishment in God's presence. So they have a couple things that they do regularly as an organization. They have what they call 830 stillness, where from 830 to 9, the whole the whole organization is in place in their office, but they're all observing silence. So no, nobody's on the phone, nobody's on computers. They are resourced for that, so they're given resources for what to use during that half an hour stillness. But it, nothing is mandated. The only thing that's mandated is, is, is that you're still. 
Now, we'll resource you if there's a book you want to read or something like that to tell you how to do it, but you don't have to do it our way. It's just that, that we're doing this. This is a time of us getting centered in God and opening ourselves to God's love before we start our day. They also have midday um, prayer as well when they gather and bring the needs of the world as it relates to their work to God together as a community. So they have that 830 stillness, which is them by themselves, but then they have a time when they all come together as an organization. Um, they also have sent many of their, their leaders through transforming communities because they want they want their people to be confronting this evil in our world from a place of fullness in Christ and from a place of being replenished and resourced at the soul level in Christ so they don't lose their souls in the midst of of this very, very hard work that they are doing. And yeah. I find it to be really, really inspiring. It's So it's a rhythm all the time yep. that way. Um, when you just build it in, you just build it in to your rhythms as as an organization so that you're sustained. I'm smiling and laughing mm-hmm. right now because that's such an ordinary, like, why don't churches... Why know, don't we maybe, do this? Maybe yes. just, that's like some of the most mm-hmm. radical things we can do yeah. are some of the most simple. Exactly. Like, actually start your day. Have it be a mm-hmm. rhythm where... Yeah. Don't we, uh, you got to do that at six a.m. Mm-hmm. You know, right. no, you it's, this is paid it. time. Yes. I mean, they're they're in their offices being paid to have eight thirty stillness. You that's know? that's kind of radical, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. so normal yeah, and doable. Exactly. Like so, do that. Exactly. Do that. Mm-hmm. But we get so busy when we're doing God's work <sighs> that we think we don't have time, and that there's no way to build those rhythms in. So yeah, there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there are really good things going on. There there are there are groups of people who are really wrestling with this issue, and they're trying to shatter these uh, false bifurcations in the very way that they do what they do. Unbelievable. So International Justice Mission uh, is doing some great work with trafficking and, and, and other things. So let's go back to Bob Mulholland, mm-hmm. Robert Mulholland. Uh, and he has um, a teaching that he calls mm-hmm. Cruciform yeah. Love, mm-hmm. which I remember hearing him teach about that. And it was so impactful, so yeah. challenging mm-hmm. and really confrontational. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, cruciformity is not a word that many of us know. We're not, we don't use that word very much. Um, but it, it, it has to do with the fact that when the life of Christ is formed in us, that's back to our definition, it's the person of Christ, the nature of Christ being formed in us, then what will be formed in us is, is love that is of a cruciform nature. Because love is not some sentimental slop right. uh, that our, the way our culture makes it out to be, but love is actually the strongest force in the world, and it's the only thing that's going to save us. And um, when Jesus came in his great love for us, he did something very radical, and that was to lay down his life um, on the cross. And that if if we are embracing a process of transformation and allowing the person and presence of Christ to be formed in us, then it will be a cruciform shape. And it means that our lives will increasingly um, be cruciform in nature, and we will be aware of the places where we are being called to lay down our lives for the life of others, or, you know, for the good of others. But it's not typically going to be about this big work that we do out there in the world. And this is what I love about his teaching is that he does not let us get off the hook by thinking that if we're involved in with poverty in the inner city or if we're, you know, going on mission trips across the world, you know, that that is it, that that's cruciform love. He says, no, it starts with you laying down your life and your family yes. for your spouse and for your children <sighs> and allowing the process of transformation to confront our basic self-centeredness yes you know and um we do this retreat as the as the eighth retreat in the series because there's this fine nuance that i'm really committed to and that is 
that you can't ask people to lay down their lives before they have actually claimed their human existence. And so you can't, this is not early teaching where you start talking to young Christians about laying down their lives because they haven't claimed a life yet. And so they don't have a Jesus, life. Right? It's Jesus, right? Jesus says, yeah. what does he yeah, say? He, he says, you know, I lay down my life of my own accord that I will, t- and I will take it up again in the last day. And so he's saying, I'm not a victim. Right. There's no victimization here. I, I have had my human life and I've claimed it. And now as God is, in, is asking me to, I'm laying it down, but I'm not a victim. Right. And that's really important in our culture right now. And it's especially for women because many women feel like victims. And so this teaching can be really challenging. And in fact, oftentimes the women have to work on it a little harder. It's come up, you know, like, so what does that mean when I'm in an ab- abusive marriage? Right. Are you saying that I have to lay down my life in an abusive marriage? Well, no, absolutely not. Uh, because Jesus is saying there's nothing, there's no victimization here. Right. I, I have taken up a life and I know who I am and God is inviting me to lay that down and I'm doing it of my own accord and I will take it up again when it's the right time. Yes. And so there are times in our lives when God does call us to lay down what we would have, in, in humanly speaking, we would have every right to not lay it down if, if we didn't want to. But when God calls us to and we see that it's a part of our journey of becoming like Christ and being Christ in the world, then um, it's very different than feeling like one is a victim. I think, and this is good that it's episode eight Mm -hmm. and that in the communities it's Mm -hmm. retreat eight, because this, again, draws us back to our prayer and Mm -hmm. silence and solitude. Yeah. Because when you have cruciform love, when you when you um, want to, and when you move that way, it is it is difficult, mm-hmm. right. and it will it, and it's freeing it, as yes, well. Exactly. But but it but it requires a level of trust and a level of giving up control that right. is that is constant. Yeah, and even the issue of self protection. I mean, that's another defensive strategy that yeah. all of us have. You know, from early years, um, this particular teaching confronts all the ways in which we try to protect ourselves and our lives on our own terms. But what, is, what does Jesus say to that? You know, that the person who tries to preserve their life or to save their life will, you know, will lose it in the yeah. end. And, and what is he talking about? I think, I think there's many things Jesus is probably saying there, but that you lose your, your spiritual life. You lose your ability to, to be surrendered and to be abandoned to God if you keep trying to save your life on your own terms, the terms that you developed yes. for yourself early on. Because Jesus' invitation to us is abandonment and surrender, which is life. That's right. saying yes to that, which is life indeed. Um, but, you know, it means that we're confronting our typical ways of defending ourselves and protecting ourselves in our own human strategies. And I would bring up again, this is where the Enneagram mm-hmm. that we talked about several yeah. episodes ago uh, really, really helps to identify what is sort of my signature mm-hmm. strategy for um, self-protection. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I don't know that then, well, let me say it in a positive way. If I do know my yeah. signature way, yeah. then I'm not that surprised when I see right, it coming right. up over and over exactly. again. Exactly. <laughs> and you can recognize when what's happening in front of you and what God is inviting you to is an invitation beyond your false self. Yes. And knowing the Enneagram, too, helps us to realize that what might be the right laying down your life opportunity for one, one kind of person is very different than for another kind of person, depending on what their strategies are. We could talk for we could, hours We could, we could, and we're not. We're going to be that's disciplined. that's so yes, true. Yes. That's so true. <laughs> if we're honest, after pastors have been in ministry long enough, I think most of us end up believing you can either have a healthy life 
or you can live your life for the sake of others, but you can't have mm-hmm. both. So what would you say to those of us who might feel that way? Yeah, that is such a great question because I think the younger generation has watched the way that we as baby boomers have done this and it's out of our, I'm going to just own it and say it's the yeah. way baby boomers have done it that results in that question because we've done it yeah. badly. Um, and we have, especially within Protestant evangelicalism, which is so activistic, there's been very little balance. It's all about the activity. It's all about the evangelism. It's all about mission. And in the meantime, our souls are dying and our families hate us and all that sort of thing. (laughs) So um, I do believe that this um, coming together of formation and mission is the third way. I really do. That the idea of establishing a community that's committed to spiritual transformation um, for the sake of others see, is the way that you bring it all together. So we're in an intentional process of transformation. We're establishing sacred rhythms in our lives that are sustaining us. We're discerning what God's will is for us rather than overdoing it with grandiose visions that we simply cannot sustain. Then we uh, engage in the mission that God is calling us to, but we do that while we're still in rhythms. We're still practicing solitude and silence. We're still practicing Sabbath. We're still um, coming back to God in prayer and inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit to enliven our work. Um, and, and that's the way mission goes forward. And when we do confront those places where we don't have the answers and where it is too complex or whether we, where we want to keep banging against the wall rather than retreating and coming back to a place of prayer, we know where to go with ourselves when yes. that happens. We know how to find replenishment in our rhythms so that we can come back into the world and continue to be the presence of God in the world. So I, um, I, I think there is a way, but I think it has to do with the marriage of spiritual formation for mission. That's the way I really like to talk about it. You know, formation, formation for formation. mission. Got yes, um, is, is I think the rhythm. And um, when we get into the next session, we are going to talk about rhythms. And I think I think rhythms are key to how we do these things well um, and, and marry them together well and find a third way as opposed to falling down on the side of one polarity or the other, which is really not an integrated, healthy, whole Christian life. Um, so I, I hate to see us identifying churches and mission, or, you know, and mission organizations as one or the other. Yeah. I'd really rather see us bring it all together. Yes. Well, I love that. That's a great uh, transition, actually, to teeing up the next uh, episode, which is episode nine. We're going to talk about uh, Sabbath keeping and developing what is called a rule of life. And uh, I think those are good, good markers for us to live a life that is that is healthy. When you were talking, when you were giving that answer, um, one of my favorite verses came to mind, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace mm-hmm. abound to you so that in all things, mm-hmm. at all times, uh, God will enable you to do every good work. And I think that's that's a that's a verse, we actually had an artist and uh, create mm-hmm. a, um, yes. a piece of art right. around that phrase, we can hang it in our house because... I have to believe that the the work that God has called mm-hmm. me to do, us to do, our community to do, when we allow ourselves to be limited to mm-hmm. that work, God is able to provide exactly. the grace to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. God does not call us to live beyond right. our limits as right. human beings or as communities. Right. So when that's happening, there's something amiss. So episode nine is going to be Sabbath keeping and rule of life. Uh, do you want to tee up anything else about that? Just that it's beautiful, just that um, identifying your rhythms, establishing them, and living them is the most beautiful way for us to live. All right. Thanks, Ruth. Thanks so much for listening today. 
There are so many podcasts out there, and we are grateful that you've chosen to spend this 30 minutes with us. Thank you so much, Steve, for such a great set of questions and for taking your own step of faith to join a transforming community so long ago in 2011. If you're a pastor or a clergy person or hold a leadership position in some Christian ministry organization, and if you want to forge a stronger connection between your soul and your leadership, and if the topic of today strikes a chord with you, um, consider this as an invitation to learn more about the Transforming Community, a two-year experience of spiritual formation for pastors and Christian leaders. Our experience is grounded in scripture. It's animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation and community. It's informed by the richness and the diversity of our Christian heritage. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, just visit our blog, transformingcenter.org, find the show notes for this episode, and we'll also have links there to the other resources that we have mentioned in this podcast. Thank you for listening. We pray that these resources and this conversation will be an ongoing blessing for you in your life and leadership.